gang, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Need a little help with that? Just open the front cover and you're at Genesis. Start counting and you'll get there. Some pretty somber things. Before I finish speaking today, before I finish talking, and some of you are going, well, if you're going to give us some lofty statistic, you talk a long time, Pastor, so that's really not a relevant way to... Well, listen, if I go 40, 45 minutes, which is honestly my average, before I finish speaking today, 6,000 people will die. 6,000 people will die. And I, don't, I honestly don't... I, I, I looked at that before I, I, I said it today. I was looking at it this week and go, man, I don't want to start with the kind of a downer like this, but I want to look at this realistically. It's not just that they die, but listen, far too many of them will die in an extraordinarily cruel manner. And that makes it so much worse. And I know some of you are probably thinking, death is pretty cruel, Pastor. That's bad enough in and of itself. It it is, but there's a type of death that's a cut above, or I guess I should say a cut below in its sorrow. I'm talking about death that shouldn't have happened. Needless. I'm not talking about the 109-year-old from, you know, Hoboken, New Jersey, who dies peacefully in his sleep after living a charmed life. I'm not talking about that. Everybody dies. That just reminded me of a very relevant line, I guess. Um, I think it's from Braveheart. Uh, Everybody dies. The problem is not everybody truly lives. And so I'm not talking about the charmed life where it seems to be the silliest of games that we play, where people say the goal of life, if you look at them, nobody would say this, but if you look at people's lives, it seems like they're living like the goal is to safely get to the end of your life, to safely arrive at death. Doesn't that seem ridiculous to safely arrive at death? Well, death isn't safe, so why not live for Jesus all out? Why not, instead of being comfortable and safe and removing every barrier we can and and just hoping that somehow death doesn't happen, it, it comes to everybody. The tragedy is when it comes when it really shouldn't have. I'm talking about what ought never to have been, like murder, suicide, starvation, poisoning, disease, war, all these things that... Because there's sin, they happen, but they should never happen. God doesn't want it. That's not the way the world was supposed to be. And way too many who will lose their lives over the next 40, 45 minutes or so will have had the following extra pain, like some sort of sick icing on the cake. They'll have the following, where their death will be because of betrayal. Which just, I mean, it's bad enough that you die. It's bad enough that maybe you were murdered or something. It's bad enough that the death was arranged. But what if it's betrayal? What if it came at the hands of friends or family? What if, here's another, what if it's self-inflicted? What if your life got so bad that you did this to yourself? Or what if it's the result of foolishness? You know, I I used to laugh at this, but I got convicted about it because I I, I really thought about it really was. How many of you ever read like the Darwin Awards? How many of you ever seen those? Come on. They, they come out on the internet like once a year and they, they're people that have done really dumb things and as a result, they lost their life. I mean, these things are just dumb. They should have never done them. They're incredibly foolish. Somebody got killed and people crack up at that except when you stop and go, that's hilarious, except this guy's or this gal's dead. It's really not funny. It's foolishness. It's tragic. The reason this all bothers every one of us is that we know instinctively this is not the way it ought to be. And we have certain things inside of us that honestly separate us uh, from animals. We human beings, we're not just another form of animal life that evolved from amoeba to fish to ape to man. How do you know that, Pastor Rob? Well, I know it because of the thoughts that we have, and there's no animal. There's always somebody that's going to come up and say, what about the dolphin? They're awfully sharp. They're not that sharp. All right? I've never seen a dolphin you could put up against the dumbest person I've ever seen, okay? They may be a smart animal, but they're not close. All right, there's no dolphin that has ever come up and then did their little cheeping sound and was talking to me about eternity. What do you think heaven will be like? They don't think about heaven. However, if you are, that was a terrible dolphin imitation, I know that, but Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity in the heart of everyone. So a dolphin doesn't have that. The spotted owl doesn't have it. The humpback whale doesn't have it. No animal has that. They don't, your dog, who you treasure and think is better than some of the humans you have, my dog, who's better than your dog's bear, doesn't think that. Bear does not sit there. I believe Bear comes close. He's sharp as can be. But he does not sit there and, and, and look up and, and I'm just, you know, he's thinking about eternity right now. He's wondering, where am I going to go? Where am I going to spend it? No, he's just not. He just wants food. That's it. If we really want to get down to brass tacks. No animal thinks about it at all. It's not even on their radar. They don't even have radar. I'm wrong. A bat. A bat has radar, but it's a different kind of radar. 
They're not thinking about it, gang. Even so, we still know, listen, you and I know instinctively that an eternity worth dying for, or I should say this, worth living for, should be better than a life full of strife and sorrow and pain and disease and then eventually death, right? Nobody sits there and longs, you know, I hope we can keep this going. I hope there's a heaven so I can extend all the hurt I've had down here. I hope there's a heaven and maybe I can die and then come back to life and just keep dying. I hope there's a heaven where there'll be a lot more tears. I'll keep crying. I hope there's a heaven where there'll be a lot more pain. No, when we think about heaven, we don't think about that. Nobody dreams of miserable eternity like that. We dream of heaven. We don't dream about hell. Yeah, there's always the smart aleck, and it's just amazing. There's always a smart aleck that goes, I'd rather be in hell partying with my friends than in heaven floating on a cloud playing a harp. But here's good news. There's nothing in the Bible about heaven being floating on a cloud playing a harp, but there's plenty in the Bible that says you won't be partying with your friends in hell. It's not like that. It's a foolish comment. Nobody longs for hell. We long and we hope for a place where dreams come true, not where they're dashed to pieces. We want to be somewhere where our dreams, wow, it, it's realized. We dream of a place of no more tears and eternal joy, not forever weeping and gnashing of teeth. The one is heaven, the other is hell. The one is joy, the other is sorrow. The one is a dream, the other is a, is a nightmare. Okay, so we've been in this study called Dream Again. This is week three, and we're talking about Joseph, my favorite Bible character, period. From beginning to end, I love this guy's life. But one of the things you need to know about him is he, he's critical in the Old Testament because his whole life, there's just dozens and dozens of pictures of the coming Christ. His life in so many ways points to the Messiah. Joseph was a regular man. He's not perfect, but he didn't sin much. He's a very good man, and he's a good role model for us to follow. And he was a dreamer. He had a dream, like many of us have a dream. Only he saw his dream come true against all odds. Man, there were a lot of dream killers that were after Joseph. There were a lot of people taking shots at his dream, but his dream came true. So I wonder how many of us realize that we can, as Christ followers, not only look forward to our new life in Christ and all this good stuff that will one day be in heaven, but how many of you really realize that a lot of the good stuff that comes from salvation and being adopted into his family can start now here in this life? See, all the scripture that talks about you being saved and you given eternal life doesn't talk about you being given eternal life. It's not like something God is stringing out for you. I'm going, I'm going to give you a little more eternal life. You're good now. A little more. Oh, you're bad. Taking some back. Going to give you some more. Going to take some back. Going to let it out some more. No, it's not like that. He gives you eternal life and you're adopted and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians tells us. So there's a seal, like a Roman seal, that cannot be broken except by God himself. And God says he won't break it because he promises, and so you're in. So a lot of the joy and the fulfilling life that John 10, 10 talks about, you can start living now. There's so many Christians that are miserable, and they're kind of moping through life, and they're going, one day I'll be in heaven, and then I can smile. You can smile now. You can, you can start early. You really can. All we need to do, gang, is watch out and respond correctly to the dream killers. I wish they weren't out there, but they are. They're out there. It's a very real battle. There is an evil one. There is Satan. But there is a God who is so much more powerful. You know, I read this last week a lot. I'm on day 26 now, uh, 27, sorry, of a Daniel fast that I've been doing, pressing in, trying to hear from the Lord more. And for some reason, I'm studying, you know, a, a lot about angels. And I'm realizing more and more each day that not only is Satan not equal with God. I mean, I already knew that, but that it's unbelievable how far apart they are. This is not an equal match. A lot of times in the Old Testament, God doesn't even come himself to deal with Satan. He just sends other angels. And what Satan is, his name Lucifer, is he's one of the archangels. He's one of the chief princes. He was probably the most powerful angel. But there's another that's kind of like him, Michael, the archangel in the Bible. So that's as high as it gets. Satan gets as high as the chief angels, the chief prince, and the angels that rebelled are called demons. But it's not an equal match between the the, the savviest, sharpest, smartest, most beautiful and wonderfully made angel, and then there's God, and it's you know, sort of like the devil and an angel on your shoulder back and forth. Well, that may be true with the devil and an angel, but that's not true with the devil and God. God doesn't have to lift a thought or a finger to Satan to wipe him out, but he lets this play out because he loves us, and real love gives free will, gives choice. So there's very real dream killers out there, and God's going to let you decide what to do with them. He's going to let you and me decide what to do with them. 
You can just let them dash your dreams or you really can be ready for them. They're out there. This probably doesn't come as a surprise for any of you, but this is something I want you to know. And I'll say this a few times, but if I forget, get it now. This is sort of the theme of today's message. Great people silence the cynicism that's out there against their dreams, okay? Great people silence the cynicism before the cynicism silences the dream. Okay, as we get older, it's funny. We put away all our beliefs and our joy and stuff, and we start getting a little cynical as adults. And the things we dreamed about, we put away, and we call them childish, even if they're a dream that God gave us. And we let the cynicism and the dream killers win, and great people don't do that, gang. They kill the cynicism before the cynicism has a chance to kill their dreams. In other words, gang, they are preemptive. George Bush was not the first one to go preemptive. Joseph went preemptive against dream killers. If you give dream killers a foothold, you're already in deep trouble. If you listen to the voice of dream killers, you're already in deep trouble. Now, we're going to talk about this a couple of times because we got to get this straight. If some of you are sitting there, I'm going to tell you what's not coming. You're not going to hear a message today about how you can be anything you want to be, okay? There are times in my life when I was young and I played basketball and I thought, you know, I want to go to the NBA. Well, it really wasn't going to happen. I can't even really get off the ground. So how am I ever going to, how am I ever going to even just slam dunk when I can hardly jump? So it, there are certain dreams that, let's be honest, it's not going to happen. Some of you go, no, all dreams can happen in the Lord. Yes, I agree with that. All dreams can happen in the Lord. But not all dreams is the Lord behind. Do you follow me? Okay, raise your hand if you've ever seen the auditions of American Idol. Let me, let me see. Are you with me now? Okay, how many times? I mean, that's the only part I ever watch. You know, you watch that part of American Idol, I'm done with the season. Because that was the funny part. But how many times do people come on American Idol and say, so you think you can win this thing? I know I can. All right, so you think you can sing? I know I can. How do you know? Mama told me. Mama told you. Did she tell you a lot? Every day. It doesn't really matter what you all think because I can sing. And then they get on there to sing and you got to plug your ears just to, to keep from, from killing yourself. Keep from, I mean, it's a horrible sound is coming out of there. And you see Simon, you know, when you see there, and, you, and it's just horrible. And you wonder, your mom did not do you a favor. She did not help you out when she told you this. She told you you could do something. If you believe it, you can achieve it. If you dream, it can happen. And yet God didn't give you a voice. There's something missing. So I'm not going to tell you everything you think of that pops in your head that you can be, but I know if you align with God's dreams, that absolutely can happen. That's different, though, so keep that in your mind. So watch out for this foothold that dream killers get. Well, here's what great people do. They seek to present a very slippery slope to those who want to gain access into their lives for the purpose of diminishing their dreams. All right, they're, they're going to take all footholds away. In the cartoons, they used to have this when Somebody tries to get in or get Bugs Bunny in the old cartoons. You know, they'd be climbing up something, and then they would just hit a switch, and it would become smooth, and they would fall down or fall off the cliff or whatever. Think of it that way. It's like stairs where you're walking up, and all of a sudden, tweet, becomes, the stairs go away, and it becomes a cliff, and you fall down. Great people present that to dream killers. You want to climb up into my life and kill my dreams? I'm going to take the stairs away. You're going to fall down. I'm going to take the rungs out of the ladder. You're going to fall. I'm not going to let you in. Because I know if I let you in a little bit, you'll get into my mind and my heart and my dream will be dashed. It doesn't take long. So here's what I want to do for our time together this morning. I want to talk about the main dream killers that are out there. There are more, but I'm going to talk about four of them today because these are the, these are the main ones. These are the big ones. And I'm going to try to come at some point. I'm going to teach you how to deal with them by seeing how Joseph dealt with them. Now, there's a lot more to talk about with, with what Joseph did than we're going to be able to this morning, but we got one more week in this thing, and we're, we're going to have to take a, a, a light tour, a speed of light tour here. So 39, 3 through 5. 39, 3 through 5. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he had done to succeed at his hands. So Joseph found favor in God's sight or in his master's sight, and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From this time that he made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. Now, if you're just joining us this week, here's what's happened. Joseph's had a dream from God. And the dream, one of the dreams is that there were a bunch of, of sheaves of, of wheat and barley and all, and then there was his. And when he got in front of 11 or 12 other ones, or 10, I think, other ones, they bowed down, they bent to him. And, well, those 10 sheaves of wheat, they represent Joseph's brothers. And it's not hard to figure out what the dream's about. Wow, it looks like, looks like my brothers bowed down to me. 
I think I'll go tell my brothers because I think they'll celebrate this dream with me. That was not smart. But he told them. And then he has a, and they didn't react good, but they were kind of quiet. But when people are sharpening their blades and their knives and their axes in front of you while you're talking, that's a sign that you probably shouldn't tell another dream. So I don't know how much later, but it, it looks like in scripture that it wasn't very much later he has another dream. And this time the dream is that the stars worship the sun and the moon and the stars and all are again his brothers. And it's even expanded, even to his father. So his father gets mad at this one. Well, they're so mad, what we talked about in the last two weeks, is the brothers see him coming when they're out tending their sheep, and they beat him up, throw him in a pit, and eventually sell him into slavery. So now we pick up this week. He's been a slave, and he's in Potiphar's household. This is a very powerful, wealthy man, has purchased him, and he's watched him work, and he's so good and so blessed, and there's so much favor. Everything he touches turns to gold. He's got the Midas touch. So he just keeps giving him more and more responsibility. And where we left off is now everything is under his control. From that time on, verse 5, he made him overseer of his house and over all that he had. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. Wait, what was that? He's blessing Joseph and everything he touches. And now he's blessing the Egyptians. For a while, listen, here's what I think happened here. For a while, I am betting our dreamer, Joseph, thought everything was back on track. Okay, a long time ago, he's probably 16 or 17 years old. 17 years old, he goes to his brother, he tells him that dream. It wasn't a bright idea. They pummel the stuffing out of him, throw him in a pit, and he's thinking, oh no, I, I derailed my own dream. I messed this up. It's ruined. Now I'm a slave. And he's probably thinking, I, God gave me a dream and I ruined everything with my big fat mouth. He's probably mad at his brothers too. That's only natural. But now he goes back to this household. He's in a much more powerful city in Egypt. Now, and he's rising to prominence in a prominent household, and I bet he's thinking, okay, I just got it wrong. I mean, there wasn't just the sheaves, the, the, the wheat. There was also the stars and the moon, and that wouldn't work out in my little hick village where I was. Now it'll work out. This is what you were trying to do, Lord. This is the dream. So it's looking pretty good. God blessed everything Joseph touched. Verse 5 even said that God ended up blessing this godless pagan Potiphar for Joseph's sake. That means bad people want to hang around you because blessing is just oozing out of you. Look at the overflow. It's like a blessing bar mitzvah for Joseph here. Like if, if I'm Joseph, the pity party in Potiphar's palace that I've been throwing for, for myself now for a while, it, it, it's, I'm starting to think this is good. This is, this is turning into, into great favor. You know, I was a slave, but maybe he'll even put me in charge. And hey, hey, I'll be in charge of one of the most powerful households. And this is it. This is the dream. This is fantastic, all in my honor. So there's probably a spring in his step again and a smile on his face, and, and he's back in his stride. Have you ever seen anything like this in Scripture where the blessing from God or the anointing from God is so powerful that it just overflows, it just oozes? Have you ever met anyone like that? Just hanging around them or just working for them or just being near them? There's so much blessing, there's enough to go around. If you haven't, let me draw your attention to a couple of of uh, instances. One time in the Gospels, Jesus is preaching and Jesus is healing people. And there's a woman who's had a, a disease where she's just bleeding and hemorrhaging and, and it's, it's all but killed her. She's had this for 12 years, internal bleeding. And she's pressing through the crowd in a lot of pain. And she gets near Jesus and she touches the hem of his garment. Are you with me? And she's healed instantly. She never talked to Jesus. They didn't interact or anything until the next thing happened. Jesus stopped He's been healing, he's been teaching, and he said, stop, who touched me? Who touched me? But check this out, everybody touched him. People are pressing in on him. There's all kinds of little kids touching him. Everything, you know, probably didn't make much sense to the disciples around him. In fact, they said, what do you mean, Lord? A lot of people touched you. Why are you saying this? He was saying it because he said, no, somebody touched me different. I felt power. I felt favor. I felt blessing flow out of me. Somebody just touched me and got healed, and this woman's spoke up and said it was me. Blessing that overflows. In Acts 5, there's an incredible thing going on. There's a lot of healing that goes on with Peter, Paul and Mary, with Peter and, and the disciples, and, and not Mary, but couldn't resist. And, and they're out healing. This is really before Paul came on the scene, and they're healing so much that people were trying to just get near Peter. Remember Peter, the guy that denied Christ and was, well, he's now the top dog. I mean, God is making the dream that he put on his heart come true. And do you know at some point that when the sun was up, they started bringing people to be healed and just passing them through the shadow of Peter. Read it. It's in Acts chapter 5. 
I don't think I've ever read that part, Pastor. Read it. You probably skipped over it. Probably freaked you out. People were getting healed from Peter's shadow. That's blessing overflow, gang. That's favor beyond just yourself. So, why did God do this for Joseph? Why did God do this for Joseph? Now he's coming to the head of another powerful household. You know, not just his own, but this one in Egypt. Well, make no mistake, gang. God, and I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. God didn't give Joseph the dream so that he could become the wolf of Wall Street. He gave him the dream so that he could be the greatest single picture of the entire Old Testament, a precursor to the Lamb of Judah. Much bigger, much better. Sometimes we take the dream that God gave us and we use it for ourselves. God made me good with money. God made me powerful. I'm going to become the wolf of Wall Street. No, that's bad. I guarantee you he didn't give it to you for that. He gave it to you for something else. And if you don't get aligned with the heart of God and use it for the right thing, you won't realize your dream. And you're going to unwittingly open the door to dream killers. So listen, we have no indication that Joseph ever gave in to this first dream killer, but I'm going to tell you what it is. But many people do give in to this first dream killer. Because many of us have a tendency to want to help God with dream fulfillment. And I don't mean partner up with God. We're supposed to do this. I mean help him. I mean be a spin doctor for him. I mean be a press secretary for him. You ever, you ever feel like God gets it wrong? God, there's a lot of styles changing. There's a lot of new relevant things coming into culture. I don't know if you came today if you would dress right. So can I take you shopping? Can I help you out? Can I get you the right shoes and everything? Because I don't, I don't know if, you, if you'd look right. Some of the things you say, Jesus, mm, they're not politically correct in this. Can we, can we coach a little bit here? And I know you said, you made a statement, you made some promises. We don't make promises anymore. We try to make general statements because people hold you accountable to promises and then that's bad spin and we got to spin it and make it better. So do you ever feel like you got to help Jesus? He makes things real clear and real blunt and, and, and speaks to you so clearly and then time goes by. And enough time goes by that we go, oh, it's not really happening, but I know God spoke to me, so maybe it's supposed to happen this way. And we just tweak it a little bit and twist it a little bit and try to fix it and be a spin doctor for God. Well, Joseph, thank God, never did that. But many of us do. And I'll tell you the, the first inclination that we have of this. And by the way, the first dream killer, if I can just say this, that we need to prevent is fantasy. Just, just hold on to that. The first dream killer is fantasy. You know, fantasizing that the dream is something it's really not. Abraham, the father of a great nation, the father of the Jews, God gave him a promise, and it was pretty blunt. Let's, let's go there together. Genesis 12. Just, we're in the same book, so turn to Genesis 12. And I'm going to show you how somebody mishandled a dream. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to read this through the ESV. They'll have it a little different on the screen. Follow along. Now, the Lord said to Abram, before he changed his name to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you. I will make you a great nation. All right, how big was his family at this point? It's him and his wife. He doesn't even have any kids. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you. Here's that blessing overflow again. And I'll even curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that's a big dream, isn't it? That is a huge dream. Now, it's still nebulous, still a little bit foggy, for a dream. So I wouldn't blame Abraham right here if he went, I wonder how this is going to look. So he had some servants and he had some hired people that he trusted a lot. And he thought, uh, well, they're kind of like family. So I, I, I think he means this guy. So I'll raise this guy up and, and I'll officially make him my heir and I'll, I'll help God out a little bit. So God had to get more specific to go, no, don't take this dream in your own hands. I want you to live in obedience and godliness, but don't you dare twist this dream. That's not what I said. But if you go on to Genesis 15, 4 through 6, God's going to get real specific. So Abraham can't mess this thing up, you would think. Here it is. And behold, this is uh, verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, the one shall not be your heir. So he's talking about this guy that he raised up. He said, that's not going to be it. That's not what I want to talk about. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Is that hard to understand? It's going to be your own kid. Got it? Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them, and you can't. And he said to him, so shall be your descendants. It's going to be big, Abraham, but listen to me. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted into him for righteousness. It was credited to Abraham. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river to the river Euphrates. All right? 
Now, a little bit more concrete there. Stop looking around for an heir. Stop raising up servants and people that work for you. It's going to come for you. It's going to be your kid. But guess what Abraham does? Hmm, my kid. Well, that makes it a little more difficult for me to spin this and save you. Time goes by, and he remembers those words. But he doesn't have a son. Sarah, his wife, is barren. So he goes, okay, all right. I, uh, how can I work this out and make God look good? Because, God, you're looking, you're looking bad. I've been sharing the dream for 20 years. It's not happening. Everyone thinks I'm a fool, and you're not looking good. So if you will hire me as your press secretary, I think I can fix this. Here's the plan, Lord. Wait, actually, I'm just going to do it. I won't consult you. You'll love it. Wait till you see the turnout. I've got this handmaiden named Hagar. Hagar the hottie, I call her. My wife's getting kind of old. Hagar looks good, works out. So I'm going to marry her. Is that okay? Oh, you already said it's not okay. So don't, don't, don't listen right now. When it's done, I'll present it. Takes Hagar as a wife, marries her, has a son, Ishmael. Years go by. God doesn't say anything. Ishmael's growing up, and Abraham says, not only am I going to be blessed, but I saved God because he wasn't really paying attention. Wasn't wearing the right clothes, wasn't saying the right things, and the dream got off track, but I helped him. God, me and you were tight. I don't know if you noticed, you were looking bad. I fixed it. I'm a good press secretary. So in response to Abraham's statement that he was childless, that a servant was his heir, God told Abraham his own child would be an heir, but he meant from Sarah. So he's going to get specific again. Genesis 17, 15 through 9. And the God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her moreover. I will give you a son by her. Listen, Abraham, by her not Hagar. And I'll bless her and she shall become like nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So you see what he's saying? That's the son from Hagar. He says, Lord, let me try again. You're going to start looking bad again. I present to you Ishmael. He's about 15. For 15 years, we've had this talk. I present to you Ishmael. It would work out better that way. My wife's old. She can't have kids. Well, I called you to be a great nation, and I told you how the dream is going to be fulfilled, Abraham, and you're taking the dream away from me. You want this to happen or not? It'll happen my way, not yours. So he fell and he laughed. And then Sarah laughed. And for some reason, and I think, I, I'm going to ask God someday about this. He fell on his face laughing. Have you ever laughed so hard that you fell on your face and you're rolling around? It's that funny. Anybody laugh that hard? I love laughing that hard. It's good for you. And then Sarah goes by herself in the tent. She hears this and she kind of giggles. And God gets really mad and says, that's it. When you have a son, you will have a son. And you're going to name him Laughing Boy. All right? Laughter. That's what Isaac means, laughter. For a little giggle out of Sarah, Abraham's rolling around laughing about it. He gets nothing. So I, I'm going to ask God about that. So God's saying to Abraham, no, Abraham, I don't need you to be my press secretary and put a positive spin on this whole thing in order to protect my reputation. Here's what'll protect my reputation. I don't lie. When I say something's gonna go a certain way, that's exactly how it's gonna go. I'll get more glory by doing something impossible. And so you may have heard me say earlier that, that impossible dreams don't come true. Yes, they do if they're aligned with the God of the impossible. Then they can come true. But your impossible dream, if I wanna go on American Idol, there's a couple things against me right now. One, I'm too old. The cutoff is 30. I'm 31. It's not going to work. Okay? So, too old. The other thing is, I think I'm losing it a little bit on the voice. Not sure I've got the pipes anymore. So, here's what I'll do. I'll just tell myself I can dream. Maybe I'll call my mom up. Mom, could I ever dream? Could I ever uh, sing? Yeah, you were quite good. Can you keep telling me that? Can you call me three times a day and tell me that? Yeah, can you send me presents about singing? Can you buy me a guitar? Can you really pump me up on this? I'm going for it. I'll be on TV, but I'll be a, it'll be one of those joke people. You know, there's only two people that ever make it to the finals. You ever notice on the auditions? The best and the worst. The worst get up there too, so they can laugh at them. Okay, don't do that with your dream. Do it God's way. Line your heart up with him. So Abram allowed this first dream killer to derail his dream for a time. God was merciful though. And again, we need to learn to prevent this first dream killer, preventing fantasy from killing our dreams. So in order to do that, we need to ask ourselves a question, gang. Is this really a dream from God or is this a fantasy of my own? Dreams by definition are not supposed to begin with reality. Is that fair enough? I mean, I had this dream 
what was it? I had this dream that I was preaching and my Bible was to my left and my iPad was right here. Well, that, that was actually happening. Oh, well, that's not a dream. Dreams to bypass reality. But they're not supposed to begin there. They're supposed to be fantastic. And they're supposed to be incredible and out of the box. After all, they're dreams. They make us happy. They're beyond the drab. Now, John Maxwell, great leader, he says, they're birthed by hopes, desires, and possibilities. They're beautiful things. They are the products of imagination and creativity. But watch this. That also presents a problem. And I got a tough question for you, and you won't hear this preached in the health, wealth, and prosperity churches, but, it, but it's honesty. Is a dream worth pursuing if it has no chance of becoming reality? This is a trick question, isn't it, Pastor? I mean, I mean no chance. Well, you just read about a dream that had no chance yeah, but that dream was aligned with the God of the impossible. Let's take that out. Let's say it's just your dream that you really, really want has no chance, zero chance. It's not God's dream. In fact, it's selfish. Does that really have any chance? Is that worthwhile dreaming for? No, no, it's absolutely not. Some of you think any dream can become reality with God behind it. That's true. But just because we dream it doesn't mean that God's behind it. It doesn't. Anybody surprised by that? It's real quiet in here. Am I supposed to be surprised by that, Pastor Ron? Sounds like double talk. It's really not. The only impossible dreams that can become reality are the ones given to us from the God of the impossible. But here's what I'm afraid has happened to a lot of us. The dream that we have is our own. It is not aligned with the heart of God. So we fantasize and we dream this thing up, and when it doesn't happen, God gets the blame. God gets the blame. I've been wondering for years how long that it would take for one of these motivational speakers that are so popular on the circuit today or in the last 20 years to come clean with the truth. Many of them finally exposed that the emperor has no clothes, and one of them did. It was actually John Maxwell. In his book that's recently come out, Put Your Dream to the Test, it's a great book, but it's also very challenging. Listen to what he says about a very dangerous trend. He says, quote, many people have been sold a bill of goods when it comes to dreams, They've heard parents, educators, and motivational speakers, and I would add pastors, unfortunately, to this, say things like, you can go as far as your dreams will take you. Think about that for a minute. As far as your dreams will take you. And if you can believe it, you can achieve it. You ever heard that one? There's a grain of truth in that. It's a little tricky. They read words like from Edmund O'Neill, one of the gurus who asserted of dreamers, you have the ability to attain whatever you seek. Within you is every potential you can imagine. Always aim higher than you believe you can reach. So often you'll discover you can reach any goal. Really? What a crock. <laughs> Seriously, I don't believe that about your dreams. Maxwell goes on to say that... Um, we do need to aim high. However, we don't have the ability to detain whatever we seek. I don't possess the ability to achieve every potential that I can imagine. I don't believe that I can achieve any goal. It's not reality. Writer Richard Bach similarly asserts, quote, you are never given a wish without also being given the power to make it true. Really, I've wished many times for complete world peace, but I don't have the power. Nobody's listening to me on world peace on that one. If you give... If you give that even a moment's fair rational thought, I think you know that that's not true. That's not the key for making your dreams come true. At some point in time, just about every child, for instance, dreams about being able to fly. You all did. Raise your hand if you're over 20 in here. Let me see you. Yeah, you did. You probably jumped off the couch onto the floor and got hurt a couple times and thought this isn't working so good. All right? You can't, it doesn't matter how much you dream about flying. Wouldn't it be cool? I'll put a cape. I'll run through the house. You can't fly. You can't, but I imagined it. I really dreamed it. You still don't do it. Never met anybody that did that on their own, just with their own power. It's not going to happen no matter how clearly you picture it. Still doubt? Like I said, I think they're over now, or maybe they haven't started yet. Have the auditions in American Idol started yet? Because it'd be really good for this message if you just check it out. You just watch it. There's a lot of people that are absolutely certain. How do you know? Because when they're done and they're rejected, whose fault is it? It's the judges. They're insane. And you want to see somebody go off with every foul mouth language and every gesture and every possible thing? Look at somebody who's living a fantasy instead of a dream. 
Look at those people who absolutely can't sing. But they're, it doesn't matter because I believe so I can achieve. No, it's tragedy when that happens. Tragedy. So look what happens next to our dreamer. Now, Joseph, we're back in uh, chapter 39. Now, Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master, now he's in Potiphar's house, his master's wife's cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me, okay? She's a cougar, just one of the first ones in the Bible. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master doesn't even have a concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has under my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Look what he's done. Nor has he kept back anything from me, except you, obviously, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So his perspective was right. This is why he stayed on track, because he said, I won't sin against God. A lot of times we try to take God out of it, and we try to sneak around and go, God can't see me right now. I'm really just doing my own thing. No, you're sinning against God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day and tried to wear him down, he wouldn't listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand. I mean, this guy just bolted. He took off and she's holding on and he's running out there shirtless. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in there, now she had a choice. I'm going to be looking like a fool and embarrassed or I'm so angry at him, I can nail him right now. And what she did was she just cried rape. And she had some pretty good evidence. She's holding the garment. And so what happens, you'll see as I, as I, if I'd have kept on reading here, but we don't have time, that the master comes home, he's very angry, and Joseph's dream is dashed. He had a spring in his step. He was feeling pretty good, and I'm sure he was certain that this is how the dream's coming about. Now he's in the pit again. They put him in prison. He couldn't be. This is lower than the pit. The dream looked like it was back on track, but once again, it's been derailed. He's now gone from receiving the dream to the pit and slavery to rising to prominence in one of the wealthiest, most influential homes in all of Egypt to back in the pit prison. Honestly, wouldn't most of us be tempted right here to take it, things into our own hands? I mean, at this point, wouldn't you be going, God, I got to do some spin control here. I got to do something. This is so out of control. Two chances I gave you, three strikes. Baseball hasn't been invented yet, but you're just about out. This is two strikes. Now I'm in prison. It's going the wrong way. So I'm going to get some petitions. I'm going to start a riot. I'm going to do a prison revolt. We're going to break out of this place. That'll be your chance, God. No, he never doubted God. Most of us would probably be tempted, thinking it's derailed, thinking God needs help, but he doesn't. Look what happens next. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison, showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison the warden. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Guess what? Now the warden's looking good, better than he ever did because Joseph's getting so blessed, it's overflowing again. So once again, Joseph's thinking, okay, this is bad. I'm in prison, but if I can run this whole thing, there's thousands of prisoners here. Maybe I'll be noticed. Maybe the dream. It's going to happen from here. Again, I think one of the reasons is because Joseph wasn't allowed to allow others to kill the dream that God had given him. That's another reason. He's going to prevent others from killing the dream. Number two, preventing others from killing your dream. So far, we've seen 11 brothers try to kill his dream, a sex-crazed cougar try to kill his dream, and we're not done yet. Still to come will be the cupbearer, the, the lead advisor to the, to the pharaoh will try to kill his dream, the baker boy Dream butcher will try to kill his dream, snuff out his dream. But none of it works. None of it works on Joseph. I mean, these are incredible dream killers. Most of us will never face stuff like this. None of them even make a dent in Joseph. Why? Because this isn't some fantasy that Joseph dreamed up on his own. It's a dream that God gave him, and he knows it. So he knows it's going to come true, no matter what Satan throws at him. No matter what dream killer comes his way. So Joseph prevents fantasy and others from killing the dream. But greater dream killers than this are still lurking in the dark. There's a couple more left. The next dream killer that we need to be ready for is disappointment. And in our culture today, this might be the worst. Depression. Disappointment. Verse 22. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there. And so he's, in, he's been elevated up and... Pharaoh was angry with two officers that worked outside. Skip down to verse 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer, the advisor to the king of Egypt, and his baker committed an offense against him. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put him in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. 
You know, it's kind of just a little tidbit I'll throw in here. He put him in charge of, of a section of the prison. The one that was in charge, it was the captain of the guard. That captain of the guard has been mentioned earlier. I don't know if I mentioned this. Do you know who it is? Anybody? It's Potiphar. So now Joseph is rising to prominence in the prison right under Potiphar again. I wonder what Potiphar thought. Everything Joseph does turns to gold. I had this guy. Meanwhile, my wife, she's been up to this for 20 years. She keeps doing this. She's always, I wonder if Joseph never did any of this. I wonder if it's her. Do you know what could have been boiling up in Joseph right now? It looks like I might get out. It looks like God's favor is coming. And not only am I going to see my dream realized, but I'm going to marry my dream with revenge. Listen, dreams and revenge, they're not good bedfellows. They don't go good together. See in a moment, that's another dream killer. So he puts these guys in prison. Well, one night they both dream. And the long and short of it is they have these dreams that, that seem to indicate that something either really great is going to happen or something bad, but they can't figure them out. Well, Joseph is one of the greatest dreamers, supernatural dreamers and dream interpreters in the Bible. God gives him that talent, that gift. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me and on the vine there were three branches and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and presented them to Pharaoh's cup and, and, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, here's the interpretation. Come on, that's pretty hard. That just sounds like grapes and cup. What in the world? Joseph looked at him and he said, God has told me the three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall be placed back in charge as his lead advisor. You'll be the cupbearer to the Pharaoh again. Now, Baker had a similar dream, but it looked a little nastier. And he goes, oh, yours is good too. Well, sort of. Good that I can interpret it. Bad in how it turns out. In three days, you too will be called forth by the Pharaoh. But he's going to find out your crimes were worse than you thought. And you'll be put to death. And both those things happen. Now, before those they had, they had a couple days to talk, and before the third day came, they were let out, and they really believed Joseph. Joseph just said one thing, and I think it's a worthy request. He said to the cupbearer, since you're the guy that's going to live, the other guy is as good as dead, let me talk to you a minute. When you get out, I interpreted your dream. I, I lift up your countenance. You're having a good life right now. I'm still in prison. I didn't do this. Would you just remember me? Could you tell the, tell the Pharaoh about your dream and what happened and, and just lift me up? Oh, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, that's great. Sure, I'll be great. Three years. Three years go by. He doesn't say a thing. He's restored to his position and forgets completely about. Now, you want to talk about disappointment? Has Joseph had some disappointment? He tells his brothers they throw him in a pit. He begs for them to restore him. They sell him as a slave. He works in a house. He rises to prominence. The, the prominence. The woman, the wife of the master, won't leave him alone, falsely accuses him. He has no intention of doing anything like that. Gets thrown in prison, works good there, raises a prominence, sees a way out through a miracle, and this guy forgets all about him. There's nothing but disappointment. Every time the dream is lifted up, it's dashed. One of the dream killers hits and hits hard. Man, he's disappointed. Look at all of it. It didn't happen. He wasn't let go when his brothers, as a teenager, the dream didn't happen. It didn't happen from the wealthy palace crib of Potiphar. He didn't get years off for good behavior in prison. It didn't happen when the cupbearer was released from prison. Disappointment, 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 disappointment. Rapid fire. It's enough to send most of us out on a ledge to say, I'm going to jump, God. I'm done. I'm chucking the, the dream with me. The gripping depression of disappointment can sometimes be so thick, it's almost tangible. Haven't you ever had that in your life? You're going, God, I thought we were together on this. And the gripping disappointment. If Joseph was thrown into depression by all of it, gang, I got to tell you in reading this over and over and over again, my favorite story in the whole Bible, you can't find it. I mean, you got to imagine, it's got to be there somewhere. But if he is even downcast by this, there's no indication. And there's more chapters given to him than almost anybody in the Bible. And he just kept upbeat. How do you keep upbeat with these kind of shots you're taking all the time? As far as we know, he stayed focused on the dream and did his very best at the tasks that God put before him, no matter what the tasks were. Sometimes we go, God, I want to be upfront. I want to do great things. I want everybody to look at me. Well, we may do that. That's a worthy thing in your heart. I, I've, I think I've got step one for you. There's some toilets that need to be cleaned. 
well, God, I don't think you heard me correctly. Up front, there's no toilets. I checked. But I need you to start there. I've been looking at your heart. Little something, something there we need to get rid of. It's called arrogance. It's called cockiness. It's called self-focus. I'm going to do a work on you over the years. We're going to get rid of that. And when we've chiseled it all off, we're, we'll talk about the dream. But if you were to get up there now, you'd make a fool of yourself. And you'd ruin your life. And I love you. And I don't want you to do that. So if you really want this dream, I've got a chisel and a mallet. You ready to go to work? That stuff hurts. Joseph wasn't perfect. I mean, what kind of little brother who's a spoiled brat goes to his brothers and says, you're going to bow down to me and worship me. Let's celebrate together. I mean, he's got some issues. Let's face it. And God's doing a chiseling work in his life. So here's the fourth and final thing here. Preventing ourselves from killing the dream. Third thing was disappointment. Now, just us. Probably the greatest killer of dreams is us. And this goes back to Abraham. God was merciful to Abraham and Sarah, even though they were boneheads. They tried to ruin the dream. We ruin mostly our own dreams. Not disappointment, not others, not fantasizing, mostly ourselves. We torpedo our own stuff. We've already seen how many people tried to derail Joseph's dream and how many disappointments could have derailed his dreams, but we also need to be aware of how many opportunities were before Joseph to derail his own dream. Look at him, bitterness towards his brothers. You ever think of that? Maybe he forgot all about his brothers when he was rising to prominence at Potiphar's house. However, when you're in prison for three years, you're not only thinking about the false accusation of rape, but maybe you start remembering, God, my whole life's been like this. What about those 10 brothers? When are we going to deal with them? It could really be a problem if he lets that fester. Revenge for Potiphar's wife. Punishment for the absent-minded advisor who got out and spent three years and didn't say a word. Oh, I'm putting him on my list too. Low self-esteem. My goodness, everything is about self-esteem today. Where do you think his was at this point? In the tank. How about feeling like he's cursed by God or God's out to personally get him? All, this, all these dream killers leave each of us with a choice. And they, they left Joseph with a choice. Bad things, problems, gang, they can make us bitter or better. You, you do have a choice. See, when God chisels, it hurts. And when it hurts and when we experience pain, we can get mad at God and get bitter at all the things he's using, and chisels come in many shapes and sizes, fantasy, disappointment, others, ourselves. Those are all chisels and mallets. And we can get bitter and mad at them, or we can let God do his work and get better. Joseph allowed them to make him better. Watch this. Our posture toward problems either positions us for more pain or more gain. That's it. Our posture toward problems it's either going to position us for more pain in life or more gain. It's just like that, that beautiful, interesting, weird Greek word that is trials, that is translated literally testing or temptation. Satan uses that same word that God uses. God uses it for good. Satan uses it for bad. Satan will take a trial and use it to tempt you to ruin your life. God will use a trial as a chisel to test you and refine you and make you ready for the dream. It's just up to you and me whether we're going to allow him to make us better or all this stuff to make us bitter. 41, 15 to 16, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I, I've had a dream and there's no one, this is Pharaoh talking now three years later. No one can interpret it. I've heard it said of you. So guess who remembers? He's had this dream, and he's getting very angry about it because all his magicians can't do anything. And the cupbearer goes, whoa, whoa, there's got to be someone. Oh, yeah. I remember a guy three years ago. There, there's a dream guy in prison, if he's still alive. Now he's standing before the most powerful man on earth. And he said, I have a dream. If you can tell me what it is and what to do with it, I'll make you second to myself. Now, what have we already seen happens when Joseph's made second to anybody? He becomes first, doesn't he? He became first among his brothers. He became first over Potiphar. Potiphar gave him everything. He was higher than the prison warden, and he'll actually be doing everything for Pharaoh. He will be the real Pharaoh someday. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not for me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Look at the humility. 
I'm glad you finally found me, Pharaoh, because I'm a rock star in the making. No, it wasn't that. He said, I I can't actually do this, but God can. The God I serve can, and I believe he will. You'll get your answer. God will use me. He's given me a gift. So where's he at right now? He's in his 30s, and all the mishappened edges have been chiseled off by the Holy Spirit, and all the rough spots have been sanded down by the Savior now, and all that needs to be fulfilled for the dream has been fashioned together by the Father, and now he stands before Pharaoh, and guess what, gang? It's dream fulfillment time, and he's, been, he's gonna become one of the greatest examples in the Bible. He's gonna save millions from death, We'll find this out next week and it'll become greater than the king. But what if he what if he allowed these dream killers to derail it? What if you allow the dream killers to derail what God's put on your heart? Listen, I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how down in the dumps you are. God's still working. If that dream is aligned with your heart and God gave it to you, it's still gonna happen. In fact, I am convinced that God loves to raise it out of the ashes a lot more than bringing it from a nine to a 10 because he gets more glory that way. So if your dream is a dream that God gave you, don't throw it away. I hope today, just look out for the dream killers. Look out for them, be ready, present a slippery slope to them so they can't get a foothold. And next week, we'll see how to live out our dreams. Let's pray. Father, I love this studying this man's life, Lord. Thank you for the example of Joseph. God, thank you for dreams. Father, teach us as a church not to put forth our selfish dreams, not to treat you like a genie in a bottle or a vending machine and just keep demanding stuff we want when we know in our hearts, as soon as you give it, we're gonna walk away and ignore you. But God, help us to press in, to do whatever it takes to fast, to unite, to seek you, Lord, to find out what is your dream because it'll make ours look like nothing. Your dream is so much greater. God, what is it you want this church to do? What is it you want individuals to do? And then God, we, we anxiously, excitedly await those dreams to come true. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we'll take it forth today, changed people. Not a people that have learned some facts, but people that have transformed a little bit more like you today. For it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus.